You're listening to the Gospel of Mark, a series preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Father, we thank you for the glorious truths of that song, that we have a God in heaven who bought us at such a cost, and that you're now holding on to us. And God, we need your help in this life. And so God, I pray that as we look to your word this morning, that you would open our eyes to see your truth, that you open our ears to understand it. And Lord, that you'd be working in our lives so that we can have the strength we need to apply it properly. We thank you, Lord, for your love, for your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to the book of Mark, chapter 10. This morning we find ourselves in the final story of Mark 10. And this is also the final miracle that Mark records in his gospel. It is the only miracle in which the name of the person who is healed is given. So before we get into the story, I wonder if it's possible for me to take a little bit of time going back and really introducing the story. And I know what you're thinking, (laughs) and that's hurtful. I have been rereading the book of Mark, especially chapters 8 to 10, and I'm amazed at how dumb the disciples are. Like, you ever read something like, what were you thinking? And it it happened often. Uh, They have absolutely no business being disciples of Jesus. The Pharisees were 100% right when they called them unlearned and ignorant men. That's what they were. And here's the thing. That's what I am. Uh, I think discipleship is really hard at times. And there seems to be some lessons that we just don't get. We don't get the first time. We don't get the second time, or sometimes the third or the fourth time. And I can kind of relate to the disciples. So as much as we read through this, and I'm like, how could you not get this? He's so clear. I'm also kind of encouraged as I read through it to think, eh, at least they were as dumb as I am. And so I want to kind of walk you through some of these events, starting in Mark chapter 8, and that will kind of lead us into our story today. Uh, The first nine verses of Mark 8, we have the story of Jesus feeding the 4,000. And this comes on the heels of him feeding 5,000. And so after he feeds all of these people from almost nothing, they get into a boat and Jesus begins to explain to the disciples how it's important to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And he's clearly talking about the Pharisees in their man-made religion and their self-righteousness, but the disciples don't get it. And they think, oh no, Jesus is worried we forgot to bring lunch. Like, we didn't bring any bread. And Jesus says, what's wrong with you guys? How can you be worried about bread? Do you not see or understand anything? Is your heart that hard? Do your eyes and ears not function? And have you so soon forgotten when I fed the 5,000 people earlier or the 4,000 people just yesterday? In other words, how are you not understanding this? How is it that you're stuck on things that are so worldly when clearly this, this is a truth I'm trying to impart to you? And you don't get it. And notice that Jesus asked them why they're so blind. And then the very next thing that's recorded is that a blind man comes to him. And so he takes this man and he leads him out of town. And he takes him to a silent place. And he does something that's that's really strange. It's really weird. He spits in some mud and mixes it around. And then he puts this mixture onto the man's eyes. And he asks him, well, do you see now? And the man's response is, I I see, 
I see men as trees walking. And I, I see shadows. I don't see anything clearly, but I kind of can get vague outlines of things. Second time, Jesus does the same thing. He says, do you see now? And the man sees perfectly clearly. 20-20 vision. And we look at that and we go, Jesus, why do it that way? I mean, you've healed people before immediately. Why did he do that? And I think it's because he is painting this picture for us of how it's possible to go from complete blindness to partial sight, to full sight. And this point is illustrated in the very next story because immediately after this, Jesus brings his disciples to Bethsaida and he asks them, who do you think that I am? And do you remember what Jesus, what Peter says? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you go, yes, Peter, you got it. You see. And then Jesus says for the first time, and this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to suffer and die. And Peter hears that, and he rebukes him. He rebukes Jesus. That's not the plan, Jesus. I'm not going to let this happen to you. And, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You care about the things of this world, not the things of God. In other words, you have a plan that you want God to do. You have this worldly vision of a kingdom and position. That's not God's plan. So you care more about your plan than God's. And, and this is, I think, the example of Peter who sees as shadows. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah, I see that, but I don't see the full plan. I don't see it clearly. Next up in chapter 9, Peter, James, and John go to the Mount of Transfiguration. And this is where Jesus appears to them in his glory. And then Moses and Elijah appear alongside him. And the Bible says that Peter had no idea what to say. And so he just said, Jesus, do you think we should make a tent for you and for Moses and for Elijah? Which is ridiculous. But he's, he didn't know what to say because he was scared. And so Jesus completely ignores the thing that he just said. And God the Father speaks from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. In other words, stop with your plans and stop with what you, th- like, you just need to listen to Jesus. That's what you need to do. <clears throat> A while later, Jesus predicts his death and his resurrection for the second time. And this time, the Bible says that that the disciples don't know what Jesus said. They don't understand what he was saying, but they were too afraid to ask him. And so I wonder if the conversation goes something like, hey, Peter, you know what he means by this whole like dying and suffering thing? And like, Peter's like, no, I don't think so. Like, does, it, does anybody here know like what Jesus is talking about? No clue. Okay, like, remember the conversation we were having the other day about who's the greatest? Let's go back to that one. And so that's what they do. Rather than trying to figure out what Jesus means by suffering and dying on a cross, they determine it's better to talk about which one of them will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so that conversation happens. And Jesus rebukes them. He explains to them that the person who will be first is the one who puts themselves last willing to serve everyone else. And then he tells them, he, he brings a child before them, and he says, and just so you know, you need to receive these children. You, you need to, to receive those who are last of all in our society. 
And he tells them that if they don't come to the kingdom like a child, they cannot enter. And so John decides that, that that's a rough lesson, but he's got a good story to tell that might help. And so John proceeds to tell Jesus the story of how they rebuked somebody who was exercising demons in Jesus' name because that man wasn't following them. Jesus says, I don't care if he's not following you, he's following me. He's on our team, so don't rebuke him. Okay? So, I mean, they're just, they're, they're not, every, everywhere they turn, everything they do, they're getting it wrong. So chapter 10. The disciples are now found rebuking someone else. Guess who this time? The parents and the people who are bringing children to Jesus. He just told them that you have to receive the children and you have to enter the kingdom like a child. And now they're rebuking everybody who's trying to bring children to Jesus. And so once again, Jesus rebukes them. When Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. He said to them, suffer the little children to come to me. Forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven without the faith of a child. And after that, the rich young ruler shows up. Now, as a disciple, what they're thinking is, whew, finally, someone that should enter the kingdom. We've been dealing with all these kids and with all these, but now we got a guy who is moral, he's religious, he's rich. He's young, he's in charge. I mean, this is an impressive fella, and he, he even seems to come very sincerely. I think he does come sincerely. <laughs> and the result of this interaction with Jesus is that the man leaves sorrowful. Well, why not? Why? Well, first, I think because he doesn't realize how much he needs Jesus. He comes to him, and, and he thinks he's got it all together. I've, I've kept all the commandments. I've got it sorted. And I think he also leaves because he doesn't want to get rid of his stuff. And so this guy, who was the prime candidate, now leaves sorrowful. And the disciples are, are confused. They say, Jesus, what's the deal? Like, if not him, who? Who could enter the kingdom? He says, well, with men it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. In other words, there, there is only one way. It's, it's God's way. And then he concludes this lesson by reminding them in chapter 10, verse 31, Many that are first shall be last, and the last first. This is not the first time he saw this lesson, but he's teaching it again. The first will be last, and the last first. Jesus then predicts his death for the third time. This time he's got a great deal of detail in, as far as the suffering and the torture that he's going to endure. And the disciples completely ignore everything he says. Instead, James and John, and their mom, ask Jesus if he will promise to do something for them. Like he's not doing something already. Uh, Jesus, we just need something from you. And so Jesus says, well, what is it that you want me to do for you? What can I do? And their response is, okay, so when you're in your kingdom, we just want to make sure that we're going to have the seat on the right-hand side of you and the seat on the left-hand side of you. In other words, we want the best seats in the house. We want to be second and third in command in authority. We want to be the greatest. And the disciples are all angry with them because those are the seats that they wanted. You see what's happening? Like how crazy it is that Jesus is saying, I'm going to suffer and be tortured and, and be spit on and, and die this awful death. And they're like, okay, but can we have the best seats? What are you thinking? And so, again, in Mark 10, 44, Jesus, Jesus says, whosoever of you will be chiefest, if you, if you want to be first, shall be the servant of all. 
the, the way that the kingdom works is not like the world works. It is completely different. It's flipped on its head. If you, if you want to be first, serve everybody else. Put yourself last. And then he explains very succinctly his entire purpose in coming to the earth. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. This is why I'm here. It's not to be king right now. It's not to acquire servants and to be put in position. I am here so that I can serve others and ultimately so I can give my life as a ransom for everyone. I'm dying in your place. I'm I'm buying you back. That's what I'm here for. Then we'll begin our story for this morning in chapter 10, verse 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. They leave where they are and they're headed toward Jerusalem. And on the way, they come through this town called Jericho. It's not a big town. It's about 30 kilometers northeast of Jerusalem. So it's kind of like what Thamesville would be for us. (laughs) And Jesus is already, I know you're not supposed to cough ever. Sorry. It's, It's been like there the whole time. <clears throat> he didn't see it. Nobody saw it. That part of the video is cut out. It's, uh, Jesus, so Jesus has already stated his, his purpose, right? His intention is to come to give himself a ransom for many. He, he's essentially going to Jerusalem to die to save the world. So this is a big deal. And as he's going, he finds time to go through this village called Jericho. And I think he goes through with the intention of helping blind men see. The entourage of people following Jesus is very large at this point. And so we can imagine what's going through this this man's mind, Bartimaeus, that he's hearing a few extra footsteps than normal. And then he's hearing some people say, this is Jesus, and, and he's heard maybe already because he's sitting at this side all the time. Maybe he knows a little bit about Jesus. Uh, all we know about Bartimaeus is that this is, this is his spot. He's, he's on the ground, on the side of the highway. And, and during this time of year, there would be a lot of people traveling through Jericho to get to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. And so he's hoping that, that you know, these people who are coming to worship God will have some kind of pity on him and maybe give him some money. And as, as this Jesus goes by and the entourage begins to go by, somehow Bartimaeus, he just knows who Jesus is. And I don't know if it's because he's heard about the miracles in the past. I don't know if he, if he heard about the time that Jesus was in the, in the uh, not the temple, the little temples, the synagogue. Why do words go away? Um, when he was in the synagogue and he was telling the people that this is a prophecy of the Messiah and in this day it's being fulfilled in your eyes that, that I am that Messiah. I don't know all of what this man knows, but this is what he cries out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And, and this title, the son of David, is the most common title for the Messiah. This is what Jews thought of when they thought of the Messiah. He will be the son of David. He will be the one who will sit on the throne of David as the king 
forever. I wish I could hear how he cried. I wish I could hear if he was, if he was allowed, if he was like, just, there was desperation in his voice, if he was sobbing maybe. But whatever it is, his request is that Jesus will have mercy. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, don't give me what I deserve. And I think it's wonderful that as we look at this, the Bible, we look at the people who come to Jesus with humility, so often what they're asking for, it's mercy. It's not position, it's mercy. And so it took the disciples years of following Jesus, seeing countless miracles in front of them, to understand some of the identity of Jesus, that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. They, they finally got that part. And somehow this man knows, thou son of David, have mercy. And he also knows what to ask for. And so he cries out for mercy, and, and look what happens next. Verse 48. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Have you ever been in a group of people and somebody you see and so you start shouting their name or you start trying to get their attention and you realize that everybody around just looked at you? And, and you kind of like, oh no, like I've got other people's attention. I, that's not what I meant. I just wanted that person. Imagine what this blind man is going through, that he's shouting Jesus' name, but he can't see. So he can't tell if Jesus is looking his way. He can't even tell how close he is. And all that happens after he shouts for the first time, it's no response from Jesus. Instead, the crowd that he can't see, he just hears random voices of people who are following Jesus telling him to shut up. God, dude, stop it. Jesus doesn't have time for you. He doesn't want to talk to you. We're on an important mission. We're actually headed to Jerusalem for the Passover. Why would he stop to spend time with a guy like you? Right? So he, he was told that he should hold his peace, keep his mouth shut. But rather than listening, even though it's embarrassing, he's embarrassed, rather than listening, he cries the more a great deal. It's two different words. and It's, it's, it's the idea of like he was louder and with more urgency, more desperation. So I don't think he was just saying this like two times. I think that it was, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, thou... Like, I think he's just ascending in his voice and in, in, in his urgency, trying to get Jesus' attention and not caring what everybody else thinks around him. Verse 49, And Jesus stood still, and he commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man and said to him, Be of good comfort. Rise. He calls you. <laughs> I think this would be absolutely hilarious to watch. Hey, buddy, Jesus doesn't want to talk to you. Be quiet. Stop. Why, why are we stopping? What, wait, what's happening right now? G wait, who do you want to talk to, Jesus? You want to talk to? Okay. Okay. Hey, buddy. Remember, like I told you, I was kidding. <laughs> he, he actually, he wants to talk. Jesus wants to talk. So be of good cheer. Be of good comfort. Let's come and see Jesus, right? The, like, they don't get it. They don't get it at all what Jesus is doing here. And so they look foolish because they're actually getting the way of somebody coming to Jesus rather than actually ushering this man to him, which is what they should have done, which is sometimes our problem too. So, Jesus commanded him to be called. So they call the man. 
Verse 50, and he, casting away his garment, rose, and he came to Jesus. And so this man, immediately, when he hears Jesus' call, he stands up, and he casts away his garment, and he comes to see Jesus. And, and I love that part because, first of all, the small detail here, that he, that he took off his garment, that's not something that you include unless it really happened. It really speaks to the historicity of the gospel accounts because that is an unnecessary detail that if you were just coming up with a story or a legend, you wouldn't, why would you make up a detail about somebody just taking off their coat on the way? So it's there because it happened. Mark heard from Peter. Peter saw it happen. And so Mark just wrote it down. But I think what this shows to us is that this guy gets up and he's poor. He's begging. He's got very little. The fact that he had an outer garment to take off is actually by itself pretty impressive. It probably kept him warm while he was out there in the mornings begging. But rather than clinging to it, he thinks this might hinder me in my trip to Jesus. Maybe it'll trip me up. I don't know, but I'm getting rid of this. I won't need this anymore. And so he gets rid of the outer garment to come to Jesus. It's also interesting to me that like the, the story a couple before this is of the rich young ruler who had everything and didn't want to give up anything to come to Jesus. And so it shows the state of the mind of this man. His garment kept him warm while he sat on the side of the road and he really believed he wouldn't be there anymore. Verse 51. And Jesus answered and said to him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? This is the exact same phrase that he asked the disciples, that James and John, when they said, Jesus, we want you to promise us something. And he said, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? What can I do for you? But his response, the blind man, is much different. It's not position. The blind man said to him, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight, and he followed Jesus in the way. In Matthew's gospel, we learn that Jesus had compassion on the man, and that he actually touched this man's eyes. And so again, we see Jesus just willing to be in in a part of the problem all, just to be there with him and doing what, what he can understand, right? He can't, he can't see all that's happening, but he can feel the touch on his eyes. In Luke's gospel, Jesus says, receive sight. And so Jesus calls the man, the man runs to him. I don't know how, I don't know how well you run to Jesus when you're blind, but he gets there and Jesus touches his eyes. He loves him and he says, receive thy sight. And immediately his sight is restored. Immediately. Perfect. And the Bible says, Jesus, go your way. You may go. Go wherever you need to go. And if this man had come just to receive sight, he'd go back home. Instead, the Bible says that he followed Jesus. He took the sight that he was given, the new life that he was given, and he used it to follow Jesus. Hey, do you know how I said that there is only one name given in Mark's gospel of somebody who's been healed, that of all of the miracles he did, sometimes he talked about surrounding characters, but never the person that was healed. You know, I think Bartimaeus is included. I think people knew him. I think that Bartimaeus, you know, 30, 40 years later, is still hanging around the churches there. He's still serving. People would have known in Palestine who Bartimaeus is. And so when Mark lists him, names him, everybody's familiar because he was following Jesus. So here is what I want us to see 
in our story today. Uh, the first thing I think we need to understand about miracles is that Jesus did miracles, first of all, because he was moved with compassion. He loved people and he desired to help them, and so he did. We must not remove that part of it. That part is true. But the miracles that Jesus did always teach us something about who he is. Something about his plan, his divine nature, his power. And so as we look at this miracle, we can't just say, Jesus gave a guy sight. Clearly, Jesus wants to make everybody who's physically blind see the end. It's, it's, it's much more than that. There's more to it. And so the story is about a blind man, but it's also about much more. And if we were to look at it that way, we might just say, well, Jesus will heal us of all of our physical ailments, disabilities, diseases, if we can only have enough faith. Right? This man had faith. Faith made him whole. And so clearly, if we just have the right faith, we'll get better. But that's not the point of the story. Notice that this man, he knows who Jesus is. He comes to the Messiah. He comes to the, the son of David. And he calls out for mercy. He calls him Lord and asks for mercy. And then we find the man exercising such wonderful faith. Afterward, the man follows Jesus. If all he wanted was physical sight. If all of Jesus' ministry was about physical sight, then this man would have gone back home, but he didn't. He followed. And so I think this story points to this larger truth that Jesus gives sight to the blind. And not just to the physically blind. I think this story is really pointing to the truth that Jesus gives sight to the spiritually blind. See, our problem with blindness is not physical. But our problem with blindness is just as real and much more damning. And so let's notice this truth first. There were many blind people in the story. I went through the list of Mark 8 to 10 with the disciples just to help you see how blind they were. They just didn't get it. Yeah, they had some sight. They saw men as trees walking maybe. But they didn't get God's plan. They had so much blindness. And then you think about the entourage there, all the people that were following Jesus, and they're the ones that are telling this man to be quiet, to stop speaking. How blind are they to God's plan? It's very possible that many of these same people followed Jesus to Jerusalem, and that they were some of the people in Mark chapter 11, verse 9, who shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is be the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Maybe these were the people, some of them. I can imagine that within this crowd, you've got a group who are seeing and hearing about Jesus maybe for the first time. You've got another group who, who maybe have heard about Jesus, but they're really skeptical. And others who think that they know the whole thing, but they're still partially blind. And I bet there are some people who would not only follow Jesus to Jerusalem and say, Hosanna in the highest, but they'd be there a week later, shut and crucify him. As it was there, so it is here. There are many blind people in this story, and there are many blind people today. That is why the second truth here is so wonderful. Jesus 
can give sight to blind people. Do you notice that Jesus actually came to to Bartimaeus first? I, I know that Bartimaeus called out, but Jesus planned to go through Jericho. Right? And he planned to go where Bartimaeus was, and then when he, when he heard any kind of call, he called Bartimaeus to himself. Because he's giving people, so he's showing us what this looks like. He came to us. He came for us. And now he's given us the opportunity to, to cry out to him, because he calls us to himself. Here's uh, John chapter 9, verse 39 to 41. It, it's, it's a great example of what spiritual blindness and sight really look like. And so John 39, sorry, 9, verse 39 says, Jesus said, For judgment I am coming into this world, that they which see not might see. So he has come so that those who are blind, not physically, clearly spiritually, those who are blind can have sight. And this is wonderful news for everybody who knows themselves to be blind. But the very next thing he says is, and they which see might be made blind. Those people that think they've got it all together, they think they have sight, they think they've figured it out, those are the blind ones. And the Pharisees are there, and so they hear him say this, and they think, he's not talking about us, is he? No way. Some of the Pharisees, which were with him, heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Do you, you, don't, you don't mean us, right? Are we blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. You realize it's the fact that you won't admit your blindness that is causing your sin to remain. If you would just recognize your need, If you would see how blind you are, how much you need a savior, you could have sight. You could be free from the blindness, but because you're so insistent that you've got it covered, you don't need Jesus, that's why you're still so blind. Bartimaeus kind of had a leg up on everyone else, didn't he? Because he knew he was blind. He He was actually used to begging. And here we live in a society where we're wealthy. And I'm, like, I am so thankful that we live in a place like Canada. But let's not pretend that our wealth, that our freedom, that all of these things that we enjoy, that there's not a, a hindrance at times to what we need. That maybe some people who are used to having need and begging are, have an easier time coming to Jesus recognizing their need and asking for help. We're used to self-sufficiency, right? We're, we're used to security and, and comfort and having it all together and, and not needing. And this, this man was blind. He knew it. He needed. And so he had no problem calling out. Like Bartimaeus, as long as we deny our blindness or we're too afraid to call out, we will never see. And so, if there is a conclusion in all of this, it is that blind people ought to beg Jesus for sight. Blind people ought to say, beg Jesus for sight. I think as we look at this story, at the very least, it reminds us all how we must come to Jesus. We step back and we see all of these events unfold. We see the children come to Jesus and, and people try and get in their way and Jesus says, no, like, don't hinder them. They're, they need to, in fact, 
you'll never really come to my kingdom if you don't come like them. And then you see the rich man who comes with everything. He's, he's the perfect candidate, and he leaves sorrowful because his arms are so full. Then you see the disciples who, who their concern is position and authority and power. Jesus says, you've got to be least. You're not least. You can't be first. That's not how my kingdom works. And finally, the story of this beggar, this blind beggar who can't provide anything to Jesus. Nothing in his arms. All he's doing is begging for mercy. And he receives sight. When we come to Jesus, we must come desperate, in humility. We must come recognizing that that we have nothing to offer here. You realize that, that nobody will ever come to Jesus on their own merits. Jesus came to Bartimaeus to give sight. And Jesus came to this earth to give us sight. That he went to the cross and he suffered and died. Why? To give his life a ransom for many. Because if if we don't see Jesus crucified and see ourselves as sinners in need of a Savior, if we are blind to that truth, blind to the gospel, if we think we've got it covered, there is no hope. There's no sight. The only way we have any kind of sight is to see our need, to see our blindness, right? Because Jesus came for the sick. And so when we see that blindness, and we see what Christ did for us, then we can humbly come to the cross, and we can beg him to save us. God, there's, there's nothing I have to offer you. There's nothing I can do. By myself, I'm a condemned sinner worthy of only eternal death and hell. But you've come to save me. You came and you died on the cross for me. So, so Christ, I need you to save me. I've got nothing, but I need you to save me. That's how we come to Jesus. That's the only way, repentance and faith. You come to Jesus humbly. You come to him as a child. I... I don't, I don't know what you're going through today, and I don't want to pretend like this message is only relevant for people who don't know Christ. Because the truth is, we are all going, I mean, every person here is going through different things in their lives. <clears throat> Maybe on the outside, you look like you have it all together, but on the inside, you know it's not true. You're struggling. Maybe you're ready to quit. Maybe you're ready to be done with it, whether it's a relationship, a marriage, your kids. Um, Maybe you're confused, you're skeptical, and you don't don't have the answers, and you feel like you're in darkness. Maybe you've failed, that you've sinned, and now you don't think you're worthy. The truth is, desperation comes in all shapes and sizes. And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know every problem in this room. I do know that there's one who does. And I know that he can fix it. I know there's hope when you come to him. The thing is, when we come to him, we realize that he's already come for us. And that he's actually inviting us to come to him. That he's calling us to himself. Like, I know it feels humiliating to beg, but we, we must recognize that need and come to the one who's, who's come for us, who's calling us. <clears throat> one thing I notice, just before we conclude, is that 
Jesus allowed this man to call out more than once. Notice that? It's interesting to me, because I know, like, I think that's why Jesus was coming. He knew this was going to happen. This was part of his plan, right? He's, he's in the habit of reading people's minds, so surely he hears this cry. But he doesn't respond the first time. He lets other people get in the way. And there's a few th- reasons I can think for that. And one of the reasons, I think, is that maybe he wants us to realize that, that when you cry out to Jesus and you don't hear him the first time, it doesn't mean he's not there. Maybe he wants to see you to see that you have more faith, to, to continue pursuing him, to call out to him again. Because that's what this man does. The second thing is, I wonder if we're supposed to see that it's possible for people who are following Jesus to actually be hindering other people from coming to him. What an awful thought. That the church, that people in the church could get in the way of people coming to Jesus. But we all know it happens all the time. We all know that if you talk to an unbeliever, then one of the biggest problems they have with Jesus is not who Jesus was. It's who Jesus' followers are. It's the hypocrisy that they see. No, I'm not saying that the Christians are worse than everybody else. We're the same as everybody else. But let's not pretend like we are always trying to call people and bring them to Jesus. And what a wonderful thing if if rather than telling this guy to shut up, we did a better job of being like, hey, Jesus, this guy's calling... Hey, come to him. He, he works on people like you. Like You're the ones he's come for. So you need to come to Jesus. He can help you. That's, that's our role in all of this. I know this morning that there are those here who have some sight. And I don't, I don't mean to paint the picture that like when I look at all of you, all I see is blind people. Okay? I, I, don't, I don't think that. I know that people here have been given sight by Christ. Um. And, and probably just like my, my negativity is a reflection of how I see myself, all right? I'm projecting that on you, so I'm sorry. But I still think that if we are pursuing Christ, we should long for a greater vision of who God is and what he's come to do, what he's doing in our lives. I, I think of the verse in 1 Corinthians where it talks about us seeing through a glass darkly. And someday we'll see him clearly. Someday we'll see him face to face. But wouldn't it be great if even on this side of heaven, we tried to see him more and more clearly? Because isn't that kind of what we see with the disciples? That at first they didn't get it at all, and then they started to see dead men as trees walking. and, and, and Men as trees walking, they're not dead. That's weird. Zombies. Um, and, and, then, and then later on, they, 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 the plan of God begins to unfold before them more and more clearly to the point that they do get it, and they see clearly, and they're going on. And so I think if we are here and we say, yeah, I've got some sight, our desire, our prayer should be, God, help me to see you more clearly. Help me to trust you in the storms. Help me to see you when my my path in front of me is dark. And may I never hinder someone from coming to know you. There are those here today who are blind and they don't know it. They think they have sight. And that's that's a terrible place to be. I think that this is where each of us does that, you know, a little self-examination where instead of projecting, you know, you know, the pastor, he's, Dan's, he's talking to someone else right now. Just say, is it, is it possible that I think I see more than I really do? Possible that there's some blindness in my life that I'm not aware of? And if it's that's you, I mean, I, I would ask that he would reveal that to you, that he would help you to know your heart. And then there are those here, and you're blind, and you know it. 
you know it. I tell you, that's, that's actually a safe place to be because there's help. There's help for people who know their need. And that's, that's what Jesus came to do, is he came to give blind people sight. He came to, to give sinners hope, forgiveness, grace, mercy. So if you are that sinner, today can be the day that you ask him to save you. Today can be the day you, you start to see that he gives you sight. And what a glorious thing that would be. And so whoever you are, whatever it is that you're going through, you can be of good cheer because Jesus is calling. Let me conclude reading John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you again for this story. Um, Just see on the surface of it how much you love people and that you're so kind and compassionate. But God, we see this glorious truth that you are the God who gives sight to the blind. And Lord, I pray that we would be here today recognizing ourselves to to have need uh, and then to come to the only one that can meet it. I pray that we'd see how much Jesus loves us, that how much you loved us, that you sent us your son to die for our sins and to give us life, to give us light, truth. And so God, I pray that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know that truth, that they would see their blindness and then they would see the love and, and the death of Christ on their behalf and that they trust you. Lord, I pray that they would repent of their sin and put their faith in you. And, and God, for each of us to know you, help us to never be a hindrance to, to those who want to come to you. Help us just to desire more and more to see you clearly and to do your will in our lives. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.